0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. You're here today with Kara Williard, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, for today's episode and the final episode of 2023, I am joined today by fellow Blister ski and snowboard reviewers to talk about the 2023 gear of the year. We discuss the biggest trends, standout products, and we give away some awards, such as Best Value and more. Before we get going, today's episode of Gear 30 is brought to you by Taos Ski Valley. For those that don't know, Taos Ski Valley will always hold a very special place in my heart. It's where I learned to ski, where I learned to boot fit, and where I fell in love with steep terrain. I have so many fond memories of skiing amazing Wind Buff on Kachina Peak or untracked lines down West Basin. And of course, there's the amazing people and community that reside there. House has several unique aspects to it that make it a truly special ski area in the world. There's the culture, the views, and then of course, there's all that they're doing as a B Corp. House is the first and only certified B Corp ski area, and they have been so since 2017. They have also been certified carbon neutral since 2022. Now, for those that are curious about how those certifications actually translate to -to day-to-day resort operations, they are currently operating with nine electric snowmobiles, three electric snowblowers. They're under contract for the first fully electric snowcat in North America. There is no single-use plastic at any resort dining outlet. And in the summertime, they operate 100% on daytime solar. Taos really captures the essence of skiing. They pride themselves on being the place where you can get back to the core of skiing. It's not just about the terrain, but it's about enjoying the sport with friends and family and finding new lines every time you're here. They also still offer the Ski Week. This is something Taos has been doing for a really long time. And they are the only resort in North America to offer this weekly Ski Week program. This is where you are paired with a group of similar ability levels. And Sunday through Friday, for two and a half hours each morning, you are working with the same ski instructor to progress your skills on skis. This is pretty cool. It's a tradition that was brought over from Europe in the 1950s and a program that Taos is very well known for. And I can also vouch for many of the ski instructors. They're all very skilled and will definitely help you in achieving those ski progression goals. This episode of Gear 30 is also brought to you by Zimmerman's, which is our blister recommended shop in Nashua, New Hampshire. This is an amazing place to get your gear tuned for the season. Zimmerman's offers cutting edge tuning technology with their Wintersteiger Mercury machine. They offer a tune-up season pass for $100, which includes a free Black Diamond tune package, unlimited waxing for the season, and deals on clothing and accessories throughout the entire store for the season. What's really cool is Blister members receive 50% off of this pass. Blister members also receive 10% off non-sale items and 20% off seasonal lease packages. If your boots are not feeling as great as they used to, have one of their experienced boot fitters. Diagnose your problems and recommend a solution for either ski or snowboard boots. Zimmerman's is located in tax-free New Hampshire and is just a short drive from Boston and surrounding areas. So stop by today and tell them we sent you or check out their website at winteriscalling.com. And with that, let's look back at the gear of the year for 2023. All right, here we go.
1: All right, well, it is time to talk about some of the gear of the year for 2023 and we're also going to sneak in some talk about trends and a couple other awards uh that we think are worth talking about so uh i am very happy to be joined by luke coppa and Kara williard and the strikingly handsome justin bob hi everybody hello hey. hi hey all right well let's do this and Yeah, we're calling this gear of the year, but it's kind of just an opportunity to think a bit about what went down from a gear point of view in 2023. And so, given that, I actually want to talk about some of the things that stood out to each of you in terms of the biggest developments or any notable significant trends from the year. Lucas... Let's start with you.
2: I think the most obvious and notable, despite some thoughts I have about the fact that it's considered that BOA dials on Alpine ski boots, uh, I feel like is the biggest story in ski gear this year. It's just largely because ski boots have been relatively unchanged, especially fixed cuff Alpine boots for a long time. Uh, and it's rare that not only does uh, several companies make changes to a very standardized aspect of it, but yeah, the fact that like it was adopted by several all at once, it's not this proprietary tech that one company is making and no one else is. I'll leave it at that for now. Jonathan, do you have thoughts on the rise of BOA and that being, do you think it's the most significant trend this year on the ski side of things? I I do. I mean, we've certainly talked about it a
1: ton. Uh, I have to confess, I've really enjoyed the fact that when we first started talking about BOA very early in 2023, there were a lot of people who loudly declared how stupid this trend was. Those people hadn't skied BOA boots yet. We had, and it has been funny to see for me, the number of people in comment sections or just kind of on the internet being like, wow, actually, this is pretty cool. And and again, we should say, I don't care what ski boot you ski. I truly don't. But to see the kind of like strong backlash, this is already stupid. I've never skied it. I've never even seen it. I don't know. I guess the world will always work that way, perhaps, but, um, you know, there are a lot more people now who have tried these boots. And I think what, at least what I have seen is virtually nobody being like, wow, this is absolutely stupid and a horrible new development that brings nothing to the table. It seems to me the, the, the floor of the criticisms are like, I don't know. I can kind of take it or leave it. I still kind of like buckles, but the, all the like shock and awe and outrage about this development. I think that what we're seeing so far, what we've seen so far in 2023 is that this is not lived up. You know, this is not lived up or deserved the, like, this is just BS marketing, a stupid development
2: that doesn't have a place. That's
1: kind of my vantage point on this.
2: So for reference, I, I suggested a potential award that was basically only with Boa in mind, and I had named it "Grab Your Pitchforks or Pray to It as Your God" award. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, basically, I'm a, I my opinion on Boa is kind of like my opinion on superhero movies these days. I'm like, I'm wow. kind of bored and tired of talking about it, but we're gonna be talking about it probably every year for many years. Like, there's gonna be more Boa boots next year. Uh, I do trust, like based on all of our conversations with boot designers who are prototyping these boots for so long before they came out, the fact that all of them were so psyched about it, that gives me a lot of confidence. I've used a few Boa boots. I think they're fine, but it's also like my foot's so weird that no matter what, I'm just, I only care about the fit of the boot and there's only so much a Boa dial can do. Um, I do think there's strong arguments to be made that it is a better closure system in terms of the uniformity of the fit, um, which I'm sure Kara can talk to. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm just like, why, why do people have such strong opinions about this is instead of clippy buckles, we have a dial.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Luke, if I may, you know, when you kind of started by saying there have not been very many developments in terms of Alpine ski boots, but Mm -hmm one of the developments that we've seen, but it never generated this kind of intense uh opining, let's say was I mean one of the developments we saw were the rise of heat moldable shells mm-hmm. but no one seemed to freak out about that and I and it and it is and we're gonna have our you know resident snowboarder chime in here in a minute, but it is curious to think about that like how many, angry comments and social media posts did you see about these heat moldable shells why did that not get any of this either intense praise or intense hatred in the way that this boa did and, and i don't know if the answer is as simple as because you can see the little knobby thing
2: i think so i think it's like it's like uh i don't know all of a sudden the door on your house is a different color like, that's how distinct the BOA dial is versus yeah. traditional buckles. I can't see if a shell is he moldable or not. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's just a very visually striking difference. J-Bob,
1: snowboard boots have adopted BOA systems years ago. As you watch all the your dumb skier friends, like, again wildly sing the praises of boa or absolutely hate on it
3: from your vantage point. What do you make of all of this? I love that. We started right into boas because I had that down for how did this not already exist. And I put down boas on ski boots because mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a boa veteran. I've been using them pretty exclusively on snowboard boots for more than 10 years. Mm. I finally broke my first dial two days ago. Huh? Wow. And so that was kind of uh, striking. But I've gotten a lot of longevity out of boas. I love the fit. I love the convenience aspect. You can adjust them through your pants. And I think a lot of people that have been breaking them are wearing the wrong size boot in the first place. And I think snowboarders tend to jump right into a super comfy boot. And same with ski boots. If it's super comfy right out of the gate, it's probably too big. So if you have a boot that is tight on entry. The boa is going to want to adjust better because what happens when the boa maxes out, that's when they break. And so people are getting boots that are too big, tightening them down Mm -hmm. too much Mm -hmm. to the point of maxing them and breaking them. Mm -hmm. I I love them they're Mm -hmm. you know, and it is it's another uh, thing that's existed in the snowboarding world for a long time. And it's kind of a lot of people like the adjustability of lacing so you can tighten certain parts of your boot, like the lower part keep that really tight and then keep the top part pretty loose. But I mean, they're making boots like the K2 Thraxis that has a boa for the inner lining, one for the lower zone, one for the upper zone. And Mm. I found that the placement of the cables has gotten a little better in acknowledging that they want like a more rounded, fully encompassing fit. Part of the problem with the old boas is it would kind of cause pressure points and it wouldn't give you as even of a tightening but 10 years of development in snowboard boots are more than that, really. They've, they've figured out where to place the cables, better materials for the cables. They don't break as easy. I'm kind of a boa diehard, and I don't know if I'll ever go back to laces just because I'm so used to the convenience. Get down mm-hmm. to the bottom, reach through my pant, pop out of the boot, loosen it, mm-hmm. chairlift. I often will loosen them on the chairlift. I'll pop a boa to relieve some pressure on the boot. Simple get off, just pop it back in, twist, 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 and I'm back ready to go. So I think that's a convenience factor that seems like that would apply and cross over to ski boots. And I'm pretty excited that like next pair of ski boots I'm going to get, I'm going to get Boa ones because <laughs> I'm a Boa diehard Coming and I kind of like skiing too.
1: <laughs> um, All right, Kara, what is on your radar for the biggest gear development of 2023?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, from my perspective, it's been really interesting to watch all the BOA madness unfold, and now it's kind of gone quiet. Um, You know, last year, I spent time in BOA boots. I actually broke one and fixed it and kind of got to take it through that full experience. Um, But, you know, as a boot fitter, I'm all about the progression of ski boots and just better fit solutions for ski boots. I think it's essential to the ski industry that we continue to find ways to make ski boots just more comfortable for people. And I guess the thing I'm starting to notice is just the discussion of aftermarket liners becoming more commonplace. Um, I think that started a couple of years ago with the Atomic Mimic Professional being offered within, you know, certain Atomic shells or being able to buy that aftermarket. And then we've obviously seen that fit liners just become a lot more popular. And I think this is a great thing. I remember, you know, boot fitting many years ago, I would start start to. Uh, Talk to someone about an aftermarket liner and they'd just be like, Whoa, what? What are we talking about? And like pulling out a zip fit felt like kind of a strange thing to do. But now it's just becoming like a kind of common topic that like liners are a very important aspect of the ski boot. And so whether that means manufacturers are ignoring the liner a little bit less and thinking more about how they can develop a liner that works well for a long time or actually like bringing in a zip fit liner to a products such as the Fisher did with their RC4 Pro this year. Um, I think these are good things because, you know, not only are we looking at like a better fit solution and really taking into account how important liners are, but also ensuring that like the product that you're purchasing is going to last for a longer time. And so, yeah, I think all in all, I hope that the um, discussion around aftermarket liners continues to become more popular and that people are like more open to that um, when they're looking at their next pair of boots or instead of buying a new pair of boots, maybe they do just buy that aftermarket liner.
1: This is not a drum that we bang every single day at Blister or something, but we have been talking about this for years, but I still, I think you're right though, that there is a gaining and a growing momentum on this front, but literally something as simple as people understanding that a ski boot is two parts. There is the liner and there is the shell. And not very long ago, and there's still work to be done on this front on an educational point of view today, but I think people used to be like, yeah, my boots, I need new boots. They just don't fit anymore. And it wasn't even like kind of acknowledged that that shell might be perfectly fine. So we're just, because a liner packs out, we're throwing the whole system away and it's actually kind of shocking how little time and all I'm doing is kind of underscoring your point, Kara, but that is pretty recent history. And again, I'm sure all of us still hear this today quite a bit. And so I think for the typical recreational skier, for, for that person to continue to, you know, better understand and for us to do that educational work, your boot is two parts. And you can replace one of those things when it packs out, but the shell might be just fine. I think that's great work. And, you know, even simple things like, one, it's going to save people money in the long haul. We're throwing fewer shells in landfills, potentially. Um, it just seems less wasteful financially from a materials point of view, etc. cetera.
2: Yeah. And ideally, you're working with a shell that works well for you. And at least for me, I'm like, if I find that I want to keep it as Mm -hmm. consistent as possible forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So if you can do that via a new liner, uh, yeah, I'm all for it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. In addition, the last thing we didn't even touch on, I mean, Luke's talking about the importance of that shell for his weird ass feet, but just then letting people ski more comfortably with more precision and comfort. If you find that right solution of, you know, once a stock liner packs out, finding that right aftermarket solution to go with your shell, like kind of just winning on a lot of fronts. Mm. All right, well, j Bob, what's on your radar in the snowboard world? I guess we don't get to claim BOA as the trend. It's just the it's just the skiers once again being late to the party. Um, but what's going on in in your from your point of view on the board side of things
3: yeah and i think a lot of this stuff isn't super specific to this year it's just a little more prominent in this past year where a lot of these things have kind of grown in popularity one being more companies making split board specific boots so they're making a lot of boots with big soles that you can have in semi-automatic crampon attachment to um better soles for walking around uh rocks and kind of scrambling around and then having like kind of like a built-in walk mode where you can release the tension off the upper cuff so you get a bit longer stride when you're skinning. Mm-hmm. So those have been around for a while but more and more companies are doing it I think due to the popularity of splitboarding and touring in general uh, really growing and I think companies are starting to get on board more companies are making splitboards and I think as far as snowboarding overall, design of snowboards, companies are definitely making a lot more specific boards for different things. But camber is kind of coming back in a big way. There was kind of a movement where there was a lot of reverse camber and people were kind of experimenting with different camber profiles. But seems like due to popular vote, just traditional is coming back. And it seems mm-hmm. like a preference for most of the riders I talk to and ride with So I think the benefits of camber are you get a lot of pop and you get the edge hold when you need it in the flex profile on all of these boards is making it so you don't need to muscle it around as much with a full cambered board. So you can still kind of pivot them around. They're making a lot more all mountain snowboards with a tapered shape. So bigger, wider nose going, you know, progressively back to a smaller tail which makes it easier to whip around. And the problem with camber in the past was you were on boards that were basically twin-shaped. So you're getting a lot of hang-up and it's kind of hard to pivot around in a lot of conditions, but the the design has really changed. And so we're seeing more traditional camber and more tapered shapes where you get a big floaty nose, but you get all the benefits of a good kind of poppy aspect of the camber. So I'm excited to see more of those boards coming out it seems like a lot of people are starting to work 3d contouring into their production so a bunch of d- different companies call it different things jones calls it calls it 3d contouring battalion who i think was the first one to do this they call it 3bt 3 base technology but it's basically shaping the nose of the snowboards like spoons or like a boat prow. it mm-hmm. kind of reduces the catchiness and kind of supposed to divert the snow specifically in powder away from the center of the board. So you get a bit more float and a little better glide and all that. So I've been on a few boards with different 3d shapes. And I think that's a trend that'll continue to grow.
1: J Bob, I'm trying to reduce all
3: catchiness, all of
2: it. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> Use my power surfer.
2: <laughs> I don't think there's a flat spot on it.
1: <laughs> that sounds like it might be, I might, yeah, I want to just, maybe I'll just strip like, plant my feet on like a disc you know like a like a sled disc type saucer yeah on a saucer
0: oh, it's snowboarding. does
1: that count as a snowboard that seems like impossible to catch an edge
3: and we'll just give you a full face helmet and call it good
1: i already have hardware in my neck i always wonder like if i hit the deck in a full face what happens right like my i don't have a lot of range of motion in my neck So that that would actually be a pretty interesting, I don't know, science experiment, maybe, um, and or a terrifying one. But uh, as the uh, you know, an aspiring snowboarder, um, I did want to get your take on the. I still don't even know what we call these. I I never know if I should say step in bindings or step on bindings. But like, what do we think of those? And is this something that? high level riders are adopting or is this something that we're seeing like it's actually like you're a high level rider are you like yeah I get it but if you're high level you're still not using these this is for kind of new people What what's the
3: status with those and will they take off yeah so I think there's the Nidecker supermatic binding which came out last year which was a game changer for me in a lot of ways because it's Similar to a set of bindings, or I guess a style of bindings that has already existed, where you kind of drop the high back down and you kind of enter from the back and then you raise a little lever, click yourself in. Uh, They've automated that process a little bit where you can just slide your foot in and it'll lock somewhat automatically. And in the past, this type of binding has had some performance. Aspects that weren't quite on par with a traditional strap binding. Um, they were generally heavier, a bit clunkier, more moving parts that would just break. Uh, snowboard bindings are still notorious for breaking all the time. They put plastic where there shouldn't be plastic. That's a whole nother story. But so with the Super Maddox, they've fine tuned that quite a bit where it's actually a high performance binding. I wrote it almost exclusively last year and didn't really feel like I was getting slowed down or having like a worse experience in most conditions. Um, It is a bit heavier and I think it will get adopted more, but I don't think it'll get adopted by the expert riding community as fast. And I think a lot of that is just tradition. You know what you like and, get off the lift and you're you're doing your final click ins it's almost like muscle memory to just give a few extra clicks anyway and you know it's as compulsive as like checking your emails on your iphone when you pull it out of your pocket or something like it is i'd say a compulsion just get a few extra clicks out of it so i tried to ride the supermatics without that just clicking in seeing how i could go and they never felt quite tight so i always had to adjust them but i back to convenience and the boa i'm an aging snowboarder and I'll take any convenience grab I can get. And so if I can get off the lift, have the binding ready to go and I can just slide my foot in and have it click in and then give a few extra clicks while I'm going. I'm saving time. I'm not having to sit in the Mm -hmm. snow. Mm -hmm. If I'm on a catwalk or something and I need to skate, which I often have to do, I can click out super fast and know that Mm. when I need to click back in, I can just do that super fast. So. It really does make snowboarding around the mountain, especially when there's a lot of traversing and catwalks, a lot more versatile. And I know Burton has a step-on setup. They call it step-on. I've heard really good things about that, that it's almost comparable in performance to like a hard boot setup. Um, But Mm -hmm. there are a few issues like there's a clicking noise that's, I guess, kind of apparent when you go from toe to heel you hear little like metal pieces clicking and so you have to get used to a sound and so i don't think any of this stuff is optimized but it's actually come a pretty long way and i'm pretty excited Hmm. i'll always be interested in trying out that sort of setup like a step in step on because i think they're at the point now where they're actually usable
1: okay switching gears luke what are your thoughts of what's happening in the Alpine binding world and or Alpine touring AT binding world? Would you say that we're still seeing sort of this race to zero when it comes to weight, right? Like this contest, who can who can produce the lightest possible bindings out there? What What would you say are the trends or developments you saw in 2023 on the just across the bindings front.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say there's uh, anything super notable on the Alpine binding side of things. Um, relatively recent development, Tyrolia's Protector Heel Design, yeah. talked about that on a previous podcast. Uh, that's not like brand new, uh, but it is interesting, uh, very mm-hmm. interesting and we'll be saying more about that in um, well, actually we just did talk about it in an update to our Alpine binding shootout flash review um, which Blister mm-hmm. members can read. Uh, Solomon's drive platform is probably, I think the newest, uh, kind of high profile, uh, Alpine binding setup. It is lighter and their kind of claim to fame was lighter, lower stack height. Um, but I wouldn't say there's some just industry wide push on the Alpine binding side to make everything super light on the Alpine touring side of things. I think the main development is just. As more people get into touring and backcountry skiing and, and are coming from different backgrounds and therefore have different priorities and preferences, we're just seeing a more diverse market of touring bindings. Um, mm-hmm. We In the past few years, we've seen some very impressive developments in like the you know, like 200 to 400 gram category uh, in terms of adding features, um, making them more durable, making them ski better. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, we now have the shift, the cast free tour system and the marker Duke PT targeting that 5050 crowd or crossover crowd way heavier, way more downhill oriented, uh, but basically ski like Alpine bindings, which we also talk about in the Alpine binding shootout. Um, and then I feel like one of the newest categories and it probably you could probably only throw like a handful of bindings into it right now is targeted more at ease of use than specifically like minimum weight or maximum downhill performance. I think it's I don't know if it's like explicitly targeted at the crowds that are uh starting to skin up hill at ski resorts, but I feel like that's mm-hmm. definitely they're they're being thought of while developing these bindings. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah like the marker cruise binding that's kind of the the whole thing is like it's easy to yeah. use. Um, you don't. There's not a steep learning curve. It's not really hard to step into some pin bindings. The heels. You feel like you have to slam your heel down really hard. Um, and then the new DinaFit uh, Ridge binding that was recently announced, which we should be testing very soon, and I think Paul Forward is already testing. Uh, mm-hmm. That binding is kind of a similar class, but it also like kind of blurs the lines. They're making some big claims about. Downhill performance, it's pretty light, but also I think their tagline for it was like the most comfortable touring binding, uh, which I'm curious to find out what that means. Um, but uh, yeah, that, it's like, I
1: think... It's like the most comfortable condom, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it I don't have, a, my, I, don't it, have a, <laughs> I don't have a follow-up to that. I just... <laughs> yeah. Usually I'm barely thinking there.
2: much more about my boots than how comfortable my bindings are. But I think, yeah, the... <laughs> yeah the ease of use seems to be a big factor as more and more people are getting into touring and specifically more people who maybe haven't been like downhill skiing a ton. I feel like in, in the past it was like most people would transition from skiing the resort to getting in the backcountry, So they're typically pretty experienced skiers. And I feel like a lot of people are kind of skipping that or um, maybe just getting right into skiing uphill at a resort or something like that. And so, how intuitive these things are seems to be uh, becoming a bigger factor.
1: Hmm. By the way, since you mentioned Paul, I texted Cody Townsend today because he and I have to record, like we're supposed to record today, but then maybe tomorrow. And then possibly it's getting pushed to Sunday, our end of the year reviewing the news episode. So we've been going back and forth. He's trying to get his schedule set. And I was like, dude, what's up? Are we recording tomorrow? And he, all he he, texted me back and it was just a picture of Paul Forward standing there <laughs> on like a skin track. <laughs> and I wrote back, um, cool. Well, I, it's a great non-answer. Um, it doesn't help me to know if and when we're recording, reviewing the news. But apparently Cody and Paul are, are uh, skiing as we record this. Uh, so I don't know what binding Paul's on today. Um,
2: I imagine but, uh, they are talking a lot about touring gear and Paul's probably got two different boots on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I actually, I tried to look and it was kind of deeper snow. I couldn't really tell, but yeah, anyway, (laughs) that was the answer. I didn't get like, yep, looking good for tomorrow or probably need to push to Sunday. I just got a picture of Paul. So anyway,
2: (laughs) that's something. (laughs) Something.
1: All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some standout products of 2023 and i'm gonna actually go first here and this kind of maybe can sort of we can jam this in with our typical crashes and close calls segment um i actually have to leave in like four minutes to go get a follow-up x-ray on my arm which you know loyal listeners of gear 30 will know i a uh, fractured my radial head uh, mountain biking that now is like six and a half weeks ago. Things are feeling pretty good. I'm happy to report on the arm front, but they wanted me to come in and get kind of a last x-ray on that. So I'm about to go do that. Uh, this is actually my third, third visit, third x-ray, and I am paying zero dollars for this injury because I have blister plus. Um, that's real different from my last injury where I had to pay $8,000 out of pocket because I have a $6,500 deductible. But then the insurance companies nickel and dime you. And so that $6,500 became $8,000. So I am very happy to be paying zero as opposed to $8,000 this time around. But it does mean that I've got to peel off. J-Bob got hung up. And so we had to start recording this a little bit later than we wanted. But... um. But you get J-Bob for the whole time. (laughs) I have to peel off. Probably nobody's mad about that. Um, But anyway, folks, this is seriously, like seriously, three visits to uh, the clinic, three x-rays, zero dollars because I have Blister Plus. There's a reason why we talk about this and we're on a mission to kind of change the culture of outdoor sports. This is exactly what we're talking about. Um, Because what would I have done previously? I just wouldn't have gotten any x-rays. And probably would have like had a f- fucked up arm because of it. And God knows I've resisted medical treatment in the past. Hashtag broken neck. Hashtag 2017. Hashtag didn't go to the hospital for five days and should be a quadriplegic today. Anyway, um, this stuff is real. Check it out. And I will leave you with this. We've kind of already talked about it. Um I tested... Spent time on and time in a lot of products that I really liked in 2023, from skis to mid layers to uh, outerwear to insulated outerwear, etc. etc. But I have to say, you know, broken record, but for me, the Atomic Hawks Ultra Boa was my standout product. And in this case, not because of the BOA, but because that version of the Atomic Hawks Ultra is now being made in PU, and I got access to a product, I don't think this is widely available, it can be gotten, but you heard us talk about in 2023 this NARBAR, which is this simple little piece of metal that you can easily Put on, swap out the walk mode on this Hawks Ultra Boa, put on this metal, and you effectively have a riveted cuff boot. And this, for me, is the first time in my life where I have ever been able to say, if I only had one boot, I could just make that Hawks Ultra Boa my single boot for inbound skiing and touring. Now, everything is trade-offs. It is absolutely not the lightest touring boot out there. You can get lighter touring boots. You can get touring boots with greater range of motion. But you all know I don't mind weight. And that boot skis really freaking well inbounds on firm ass moguls. I don't mind touring in it. I love going downhill in a very supportive boot. And I think for all those reasons, and ironically, if if it is not about the boa system for me they, they make a buckled version of that boot um but that boot BOA'd or buckled with the narbar is the first time I was like I could I could actually I'm not gonna do it I think people should have a dedicated inbounds boot and a dedicated touring boot but I could do it with this product and I've never said that um, in my life so I think I, it's got to be the honest answer for me
2: mm-hmm yeah, and Dylan Wood's been testing a lot too, including with the uh, the Mimic professional liner, and we'll have I'm sure we'll have more to say uh this season.
1: Yeah. Um guys, I'm so sad. I don't want to leave, but I'm going to go hopefully get a clean bill of health on this arm and and then I think we're I think we're now 21 reviews away from 750 reviews. So I'm going to go get this clean bill of health on my arm and wrist and then immediately break them. Uh so I'm going to not think about that too much. I'm just going to leave. And, uh, but great to see all of you. Just tell the
2: doctors I'll see you in a month.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just feel like you just hold a spot for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to actually wait. We got to get the reviews in that hasn't happened yet, but I, I probably, if the reviews all come in quick, I'm still going to probably wait till after the summit to get on a board. I think I don't, I don't want to be out of commission for the summit, but, uh, Anyway, but you're right. I'll probably just like book an appointment today for like February 15th or something. It's probably a smart move. Um, okay, guys, you're the best. Thank you. Um, I'm going to see, well, I'll see you guys. Maybe not you, J-Bob, before the end of the year. But um, happy new year to you all. Happy new year to our incredible Blister community. And um, I'm going to talk to you all real soon.
2: Sweet. See you. Bye, Jonathan. All right. Well, Jonathan is on his way to his x-ray appointment, uh, but let's talk about some more standout products from each of your perspectives. you want to start, Kara?
0: Sure. Yeah, this is a ski I've spent quite a bit of time on early on this season and I've already taken it through quite a range of conditions, and that's the Vocal Secret 102. This ski stands out. Um, I didn't really love the predecessor, neither did our reviewer, Kristen Sinnott. Um, it was a very stable ski, but it felt like very much not accessible and quite punishing and getting on the new version. I was even a little tentative. I remember first taking it out, um, for a morning at the blister summit last year and I was skiing with Wendy Fisher and I was like, Oh God, I hope this works. Cause I need to try and keep up with Wendy. And, um, instantly it struck me as being a whole lot more accessible and maneuverable. But I can also say that among all the women's skis I've tested over the years, I feel like it has pretty much the best suspension. And we had quite a few like early uh, season sort of choppy days this year. And it was just such an amazing ski as far as being able to just charge through the chop, but then still be able to like slow it down, make smaller turns. Um, so yeah, I think when it comes to those skis, especially in the women's specific realm that just don't feel watered down or still feel like they're really substantial in terms of, how damp they are and um you know how supportive they can be in a variety of conditions the vocal secret 102 just definitely stands out to me
2: nice yeah I know it was interesting the the first generation secret 102 and mantra 102 I feel like our uh the reviewers we had on the 184 centimeter mantra 102 generally it was very positive impressions it was a pretty strong stable somewhat demanding ski But that wasn't like its standout trait. Like it wasn't just extremely difficult to ski for the types of skiers who would like it. And I feel like the uh, you and Kristen didn't like the original Secret 102. Like, yeah, it's it's damp and it's stable, but it's also like it's kind of a lot. Is that is that correct?
0: Yes. Agreed. And uh, yeah, the new version doesn't feel like a lot. Like for my preferences, it feels Mm -hmm. just right as far as. You know, I felt okay taking it in super tight terrain last year mm-hmm. on headwall and things like that. Um, Whereas on the old version, I feel like I probably would have been kind of falling apart maybe or just like not feeling very confident. And then this new version, it's like, you, you know, it still wants to be driven from a forward stance, but it just isn't quite as demanding. And it's just a little bit quicker in that sense. But then it's paired with just really amazing mm-hmm. suspension, which I really appreciated on. Some of the firm days we've had this season, I've been carving on it a whole bunch because we've had a lot of groomer days. And then in the chop and crud, it's been just like, Mm. yeah, a real standout. Yeah,
2: I'm just now realizing that like one of Vocal's main points with the updates to the Secret 102 and the Mantra 102 was their length specific construction. And like the idea being that they wanted to make, say, a 170 centimeter ski feel the same to someone who should be on that length as say a one eighty four should be, should feel for someone who should be on that length. Like basically depending Mm -hmm. on what size and, uh, skiing style is going to be on a given length. Uh, and that's kind of impossible for us to test because we'd, we'd kind of have to have like two reviewers who are identical, but (laughs) are also different sizes. Um, but I do think like your, your and Kristen experiences, Seemed to at least suggest that vocal may be on to something, or at, at the very least, the new 170 centimeter Secret 102 seems uh, more appropriate and easier to recommend, I, I guess. Cool. J-Bob, how about you?
3: I was pretty excited about one of the Wonder Alpine snowboards. They currently make two shapes, uh, which is pretty awesome. Even before they started making snowboards, I bought my wife a pair of their skis. Um, I was pretty into what they were doing as a company and like, gosh, I really hope they start making snowboards someday. And Matt Sturbin's is buddy with this uh, snowboard designer builder, Alex Andrews, who was on their design team and spent, I want to say, two to three years developing their first shape, uh, which became the Bell Air and the Bell Tour, which is uh, all mountain, tapered, cambered board and um, loved it. I was a little skeptical at first, doing some hand flex tests. I generally like a really, really stiff board. And this board kind of pulled me out of that hole I was in. It still Hmm. actually rides torsionally really stiff, and it has quite a bit of pop still in the tail. So I'm able to do all the riding on it that I like to do basically crushing through moguls and tight trees, but I can actually still get some good air on the jumps and have good edge hold for steep choppy stuff so i like that board i want to put a lot more time onto it this year that's going to be my Mm. go-to board for when i'm just out trying to have some fun and i like what they're doing as a company trying Mm. new materials out and their whole premise of not just making products with new materials to showcase that that can be done but also to really maintain performance characteristics. It sounds like they're not interested in doing things if they're not going to perform as well, if not better. And it seems to be pretty evident in that board I was on the Bel Air. And I have just arrived the, uh, shepherd tour, which is their split board version of their second shape, which I'm pretty excited to try out. It seems like it's going to be a tighter side cut radius. So a little more turning in the trees and. Uh, maybe a little more playful, so that that was a standout for me.
2: Yeah, I was I was very curious to hear your thoughts when uh, you tried the the Bel Air for the first time at the summit because we've tested several Wonder Alpine skis, uh, from the very first ones to uh, most of the current ones, and yeah, I, I mean, like I had kind of come to expect certain things from them on the ski side. Uh, but yeah, when you were talking about the experience on the Bel Air, it it sounded like a distinctly different or I don't, I think unique gets overused sometimes, but like, it's, it seemed like it wasn't kind of what you expected or wasn't like a lot of the other stuff you tested that week.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it does kind of stand out in the bigger category of all mountain snowboards as well. It's got a pretty unique shape and I mean, I think they spent quite a bit of, time trying to develop it and going through different iterations and working with uh different snowboarders to get it figured out so
2: well I'm looking forward to hearing more um on my end
0: yeah what about you
2: I have a lot <laughs> I could talk about um so I'm going to try and rapid fire through some uh I've mentioned this before in various places but the True Cosmic Primo jacket is currently my favorite resort shell I love how it fits, feels perfect pockets for my preferences. Uh, I think it's a good value too, for what you get, uh, big fan will continue to be probably running that when I'm not testing other outerwear this season, as I did a lot of last season on the ski side, Armada Declivity 102 TI. I really like that ski at the end of the last season, ended up putting it in a bunch of my personal quiver selections this year. Got back on it this year. Still really like it. Just a, it does a lot of things. Well, it doesn't stand out in particular regards drastically, but it's like a fairly directional ski that I can still ski pretty centered if I want to. It's, it feels playful for a directional ski. It feels very nimble and energetic, but it's not so light that I would hate taking it out when it is really firm. Just generally a ski that works for my preferences and style. Similar note, uh, with the Alpine Binding Shootout that we're doing, we mounted up a bunch more KT Mindbender ninety nine Ti's and the women's version as well. Uh, and getting back on that ski, <laughs> I, I honestly, I felt kind of bad because I was like, should I have put that one in all my quivers? Because it is so good. Oh, like I, I just think they, it is a remarkably versatile ski. I don't understand how it manages to be such a good carver and have such good edge hold, even on like kind of the scary scraped off icy man-made snow we have at the beginning of the season, while also being like a ski that I actually like in tight moguls and soft snow. Like it's not that difficult to release and slash around. Uh, The only downside with the Alpine binding test is we had to mount them all on the recommended line. I would mount it like two centimeters forward probably, but I, yeah, I think that ski is, I mean, it's just, still really, really good, does many things well. And it's one of those like safe bets in quotes that I will sometimes refer to that. Yeah. It's just a ton of people could get along with it. Cara, do you have thoughts there?
0: Yeah. Fully agreed. Um, I was actually going to talk about it a little bit later on, but that is not a ski that I get tired of. And it's kind of like, if I just need a good baseline, it's probably the ski I'll always return Mm to. Um, I've spent actually the last two days on it because we just got <clears throat> even more bindings mounted up. So I've been kind of doing some A-B testing and uh, just like long bump runs, really a couple of very scraped off groomer days. And um, yeah, that ski just continuously impresses me. And I don't know if I could get bored of yeah. it. It has a whole lot it to is, offer.
2: Yeah, it was very impressive. Lastly, this is might have some recency bias, Army Apostle 96 Pro. We got that uh, beginning of the season And I really like the Apostle 106 as an extremely playful ski. I was curious about the 96. It is supposedly more directional. uh, And then the pro version has uh, two partial Teetanel metal layers. And overall, I've been very impressed by it so far. I think it retains a lot of the playfulness of the wider Apostles and the uh, RMU North Shore series that we've tested several pairs of. But I think they did a really good job. I'm guessing with the torsional flex pattern, it just feels like you it still feels very loose and surfy at the tips and tails. It has a lot of rocker for a 9600 foot ski, but the way it transitions from that to a surprisingly precise feeling midsection, specifically when like bending it and trying to carve it rather than it just digging in like unpredictably in bumps, it just feels very very nicely refined. Uh, and we will be posting a full review of that in the coming weeks. And uh, yeah, I've been liking that one a lot. Lastly, boot side Lang Shadow LV uh, 130. Uh, as we alluded to before, I like to have find a boot that works. And my latest strategy is to ski it until it breaks uh, the shell. And unfortunately, I've done that once a season. I think for the past three years. Uh, but the shadow is I think at this point, I think I have to just commit to that as my primary Alpine boot this year. The fit has worked surprisingly well for me once I added my ZipFit uh, Gara HV liners that I had in my previous Technica Mach 1 MV boots. Uh, but I still really like the Shadows performance. I think offers nice suspension. And the main thing is that I do think it it is different from most other boots I've tried in terms of how efficiently it transfers your input into input into the ski. Uh, when I first tested it against the Mach 1, I did one, one on one foot, one on the other. And that first run, I was like, the skis that are attached to the shadow feel sharper. Since then, I think it's less of a dramatic difference to me. Maybe I've just gotten used to it, but I like to boot a lot. We'll probably end up skiing it most of the season and hopefully continues to not cause uh, too much pain. So we'll see. So, yeah, spending more time in the Shadow and Kara, you are also in the women's 115 version. So and actually Paul Forward skied the Shadow 130 most of like the second half of his season last year. So we should have a full review of that boot um, relatively
3: soon. Was that his left foot or his right foot?
2: (laughs) I think when. Yeah, I think he mostly (laughs) he's much more often doing the A-B testing while touring. I think when he, he was mostly looking for a guide boot for heli-ski guiding and also resort skiing at Alaska, But he seems much less prone to tinkering while he's guiding, which I guess makes sense when you're like responsible for people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think with that, we'll move on to uh, a couple more awards. Uh, first up, I want to talk about value. And we can phrase this as a best value award, but I kind of just wanted to provide some general thoughts. But Kara, do you want to kick off your with your submission to Best Value?
0: Yeah, this one's really easy for me. And people might call me out because I'm I'm just right off the bat giving this award to what mis- most people deem a very expensive product. Um, but to me, it's a pretty simple equation, actually. And that's a ZipFit liner. Um, so I feel like the biggest hesitation I hear around ZipFit liners is, oh, they're so expensive. But when you really boil it down and look at what you're receiving um, over the course of that liner's lifetime, it's pretty incredible. For reference, I have about 750 days on my as it fit. I don't see uh, any need to retire it anytime soon. I actually like just got new velcro straps, and so to me, it feels like a Tara brand new very liner excited all over about again. Her
2: new velcro straps. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it feels like a new one. Uh, So, you know, when you really look at this, you're receiving so many benefits when it comes to the consistency of the fit. I think that's the biggest one is just knowing that each day you go into your boot, it's going to feel the exact same and you're not ever having to deal with that continuously packed out liner feeling um, where your fit is constantly evolving or devolving, I guess. And, you know, if you are really rating these liners for a thousand ski days, which I'm well on my way to proving that they will last a thousand ski days, you're looking at about 50 cents a day. And to me, you know, we spend so much money to go skiing. And if our skiing experience is at all hindered by a negative boot experience or discomfort, um, you know, that's kind of a waste of money. So if you can just invest in one product that's gonna bring more consistency, potentially more comfort, in the case that is it fit works for you, I think it's a pretty easy cost to justify. And just to be able to invest in something that is going to last a thousand ski days. I just can't speak to any other product that I can confidently say might last for a thousand days. That's a really long time. And so just framing it as a long-term investment that you will certainly benefit from over the course of many years, even if you're skiing a hundred days a year. At first glance, they are expensive, but when you really look at the cost over 10 seasons, even more, I think it's pretty amazing. And I have seen zip fits that look pretty much new um that are 15 plus years old so that's my idea on best value yeah
2: i think like obviously it'll depend on uh however many days a year someone is skiing it is yeah so much easier to justify when like i feel like most stock liners i can get 50 to maybe 100 days out of uh before they're so packed out that like i I'm either getting a lot of pain or I uh, feel like it's seriously detracting from my seeing experience. And then you think about that and well, OK, so, yeah, it's, it basically the math starts to work out at a certain point. Um, Kara's huge zip, zip fit fan. I have been in a pair since the summit last year. I think Dylan has as well. Uh, a whole lot of summit attendees have. Um, they basically cleared them out there. Uh, but yeah, I think if, if you if you do some math and want to prioritize comfort and performance and consistency, they are uh, very easy to recommend in that regard. Um, on my end, I when I was thinking of this award, uh, several skis came to mind and that kind of alludes to a larger trend that I don't think we've talked about before and just that especially on the all mountain side of things or free ride or whatever a given brand calls it in general, the wider the ski, the more expensive it is. And I mean, to a degree, they're more expensive to make, but like the actual material difference, I don't think is that significant in most cases, but rather I think it's a, just a essentially a marketing thing. Uh, fewer people buy really wide skis, make them more expensive. They're more of a, a premier product. Um, but some of the narrower skis, while the really narrow ones often are uh, constructed with less expensive materials and construction methods, a lot of them are basically built with the same stuff that the wider versions are made of. And so like in the case of a Salomon QST 92, uh, it is a very similar construction to the wider QST's 98, 106 and the QST blank, but the QST 92... MSRP I believe is five fifty, as opposed to pushing eight or nine hundred for the QSD blank. Um, you can also I was just checking uh, Powder Seven, a blister recommended shop. They do a ton of uh, sales of their demo fleets. I think you can get last year's QSD ninety two, which is the same for five ninety nine with bindings. Uh, so that was a an easy one for me, mostly because I think that ski is uh, I mean it's just a very good option in the narrower mountain category is if you want something very maneuverable and playful and easy at the same time i was impressed by how hard i could ski it and how good it was on groomers given that like nothing about its shape or rocker profile suggested it would be actually all that great on groomers so shout out to that ski another one that comes to mind armada declivity 92 ti i talked about the 102 ti 92 ti is uh, notably less expensive So I think that kind of 90 to 100, some of those some of those narrower models in larger families where like the wider ones are kind of viewed as the flagship options. I think the the narrower models start to present a stronger argument for their value when you think about uh, what actually goes into the cost of them and the development. Obviously, maybe you have no need for a ninety-two hundred foot ski. But uh, I think it's something we hadn't talked about much before and uh, is worth touching on because, yeah, everyone wants to ski pow and ski pow skis. But the prices of some of them these days are kind of absurd in comparison to the alternatives.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And
2: then I also would like to talk about... Um, well, in terms of value, I on that note about Powder 7, whenever we talk about value, I always like to shout out shops like that that sell demo fleets or past rental skis whenever anyone reaches a friend that reaches out to me and especially if they're buying like their first ski or their or their second ski or their first ski in a while um, I think it's still not understood how not not easy but how many options there are in terms of buying last year's stuff? Uh, at a drastic discount, you very often skis, just get graphic updates. It'll ski the same as the new one, new top sheet one. But I would always encourage people to consider that if they're trying to, uh, yeah, get the most bang for their buck, check out a good shop. You can check out our blister recommended shops for several good options. Uh, I also like that, um, vintage stuff seems to be coming more of a thing in, uh, the outdoor world and snow sports. Um, I picked up a Nerona jacket from, I think late nineties, maybe early nineties, uh, but picked it up for like 50 bucks over the summer and it's three layer Gore-Tex. It's still pretty much waterproof. Um, and I like how it looks and it is also funny that, uh, it looks exactly like a ton of new jackets this year, uh, going through, a lot of the shops at the base area, yeah, the design is exactly the same. One of my friends also did the same thing. Got a vintage uh, North Face Steep series jacket from, like, 90s or 2000s, and both of us thought we had gotten brand new jackets and then found out they were very old. But, uh, yeah, I like I like the influence, although things have come a little bit, like, since then. Like, the fact that we don't have, like, double four-inch storm flaps on every zipper, yeah. Um, not mad that went away anyway i think we will close this out with an award that i think reflects a bit of our thoughts on these kind of best gear best gear of the year best gear for we're not big fans of titles like that uh we like to provide context and nuance because we think it is very important uh so the last one i want to talk about maybe some gear that is not new as of this year, or isn't like, yeah, didn't come out this last year, maybe, but you're still really, really liking it. Uh, j Bob, do you want to
3: start? Yeah, this one for me is pretty easy. And I think going with the approach of trying to make every day as comfortable as possible in the mountains. And for me, I get pretty cold fingers. I'm addicted to the use of a good glove layering system. And at the heart Mm. of that system is Kinko. And that might be the old veteran ski patroller in me, but I am still using pairs I bought 10 years ago. And I've probably got 10 pairs now that I rotate through and I'll wax them up every so often and they're super durable. So I'll usually wear like a wool liner and on the cold days and then I'll put the kinkos over that. And then if I really need extra layer of protection, I'll put a little Gore-Tex liner on top of that, but I'll at least carry the Gore-Tex liner around. Um, They're packable and pretty small so you can keep them in a jacket pocket or something like that, but uh, the Kinkos they've been around for a really long time. They have not changed at all and they still function as intended, which is you know, in a world where there's a lot of um, planned obsolescence that product seems to be holding pretty strong.
2: Yeah, I feel like kinko gloves are like the costco hot dog of the ski world where like whoever's at kinko has just decided they're not gonna just destroy the quality or jack up the prices they know it works and they're just like sticking with what works and i'm i'm a big fan of that how about you kara
0: uh well i mean i guess just with what i just spoke about i would say zip fits uh they're very much not new they've been relatively unchanged for a really long time Um, I'd also shout out my Fly Low Foxy bibs. I've had a couple pairs. They are great in terms of fit. I love the features. They have good venting and they're super durable. And uh, that's definitely the bib I've spent the most time in over the years. And just to point out, they do have an insulated version this year that I'm spending time in. And it's actually pretty cozy and nice. I have never actually worn insulated pants prior to that. Um, And then we've already spoke about this one as well, but K2 Mindbender 99 Ti. That is, yeah, not much more to say there, but uh, it's not new. Still amazing. Yeah,
2: yeah, I like it. I uh, think I will shout out, uh, one, the Arcteryx Atom LT that I'm wearing right now. And most time people see me. Uh, I think it's just a really, really well executed product overall. Um, I've talked about it a lot on the site, so I won't go into much more. But my last one will be a product that might rival your zip fits in terms of usage. Um, the Ooh, bring the it on. Patagonia Nano Air Pant. They haven't made it for many years, but it's like the Nano Air Jacket, but a pant. It's the most comfortable pair of pants I think I could ever think of. They're very warm, but because it's a very breathable insulation, I'll wear them inside. Like I think I probably wear them 150 to 200 days a year and I think I've been doing that for six years and they have like one pinprick hole and that's about it and I love them so much and I mean they haven't failed me yet so I don't need Patagonia to make them again but know that there's one pair out there at least that's still (laughs) getting put to uh, use on a very consistent basis.
3: Do those have full zips down the side or can you zip them on and off?
2: It's basically like a jogger. It's not like, I kind of see why they why they didn't get picked up. Cause it's like, it's basically really fancy sweatpants <laughs> um, and they don't look good. And they just have two drop-in pockets, with no zippers. They're not that easy to pull. Like you can pull them over like shorts and stuff, but like, yeah, in hindsight, but they are the perfect <laughs> work from home in a cold place pant. Uh, And so that's mostly what they're also probably the best pair of uh, camping pants ever because they're very warm, but they don't cause you to overheat super easily, uh, which I feel like is a tough balance to strike. All right. Well, I think we will leave it at that. Uh, Thank you both for joining us today. And um, yeah, hopefully we get to test a bunch of good new gear this year and hopefully still get to use the stuff we really like. Yep. Mm -hmm. A good mix of both. All right.
0: Thanks, guys. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps it up. Our last year 30 episode for 2023. Happy New Year's to the amazing Blister community. Thank you so much for tuning in, supporting the work that we do, and seeking out the in-depth and honest information that we work to provide to you year in and year out. If you like what we do and maybe want to save yourself thousands of dollars in the event of an outdoor-related injury please head over to our site and become a blister plus member. Don't wait until it's too late in case you hurt yourself in the new year, doing something you love outdoors. It's much better to be a blister plus member and potentially save yourself thousands of dollars. Like Jonathan mentioned in the middle of this episode. Thanks also to the blister team that I get to work with. You guys are the best and you make this job so fun. Thanks of course to Justin Bob, who is not only our amazing podcast producer, but also snowboard reviewer extraordinaire, as you heard in this episode. And we will talk to you all again in the new year. All right. Happy New Year's, everybody. Cheers.